everyone. Welcome to Player vs. Plot, the podcast where we take video game stories seriously. I am Lindsay, and with me I've got... Yeah, it's Sterling, and uh, we've got yet another fun episode for you this week, and Chris will tell you a couple <laughs> things about it. And he will kick the bucket over to Chris. Yeah, Not this week. Bucket. Oh my gosh, pass, kick the, kick kick the, the can. can. Kick the bucket. Kick the can. Guys, I don't appreciate these. <laughs> First, you, you introduce the topic without me, and then you use this obvious bucket-kicking metaphor. It's Guys, we would like to squash any rumors about Chris's health and well-being. He is perfectly fine and here, and this is definitely not his ghost speaking. It's definitely not an intervention where you guys kick me off the show during an episode, which I understand yeah. that that would be <laughs> that great would be podcasting. Right? Such a weird idea, <laughs> right? Sterling, whoa, good thing we're not doing that. Oh, I, I haven't checked any of our notes today, so <laughs> is that's happening? Well, <laughs> it's news like to me. I like the idea that I put it in the middle of the notes, like beat for beat. Yeah, I'm going Kick down. Chris off. Okay, that's at number six. So we're, we're <laughs> You've got five points you can make before then, Chris. So this week we're talking about power progression in video games. What is, so what, give me like an elevator pitch of what that means. Power progress, power progression. That's so, a surprising tongue twister. I guess it's, I mean, it's not like a super complicated idea. It's just the idea that as a game progresses, as you go through time in the game, something in the game happens to indicate, whether it's mechanically or through what you're seeing on screen, that the efficacy of your character, your power is rising somehow. Power progression. Right? It's fun to say. I I think that this is pretty key to what makes a video game a video game. Like when you read a book, you don't need to feel like you are getting better at reading the book or, and, and the way that the book tells you a character is improving mm-hmm. could it's just change. Words. <laughs> yeah, but it could it, but, change in the middle. Your character could just start sucking when you're reading the book or yeah. like you could watch a movie and your character could get injured. Batman could have his bat broken in the middle of the story and not do anything Mm -hmm. and that's like cool and then you can like tie a rope around his under his armpits and pull it back into place and then climb out of a pit i try to block out the movie (laughs) version of that story so so that's interesting so to you power progression is is a key element of a video game yeah i i definitely or like a game Mm -hmm. right but power progression is definitely linked to i i the human consumer am doing something and I want the thing I'm doing to tell me I am getting better at it. Now, I'm does thinking, it have to be in the fiction of the game or do you think it qualifies if you personally are getting better? OK, because I was about to say Mario has a word with you, wants to have a word with you. Mm-hmm. Or like that's Tetris true. or something. Because you're doing harder. Tetris gives you a score. So that's your character's. Yeah, that's my I mean, power sorry, that's you, Lindsay's progression. Yes. Okay. I'm so, very good at Tetris. So, you're, so what you're saying is like in games of skill, you get better. And that is the progression that you're talking about. Whereas in games like RPGs, your characters get experience in some versions of it and then they get better. So you don't have to. Yeah. Games definitely give you some kind of feedback on, hey, dude, you're getting better at this. And in Mario, you're doing harder things. Not me because I'm I'm permanently stuck oh, in World Oh, okay. One. See, it's good that we asked this because it sounds like Lindsay is saying that stakes rising is also part of it. I would agree. I don't think we'll focus on that interpretation for this episode. Mm-hmm. Like we could, but I think it's really interesting when games take the power progression super literally. They're like, here's a new power. And Mario gives you new power ups. That's power progression. I mean, right? You don't have like 
I almost called it the zoot suit, <laughs> the tanuki suit, right? Um, I don't know whether that's power progression, something we should discuss, I guess. I don't know. But before we get into that, I want to know what you guys think of when you hear power progression. Like, what are the elements in a video game that you think constitute power progression? Getting experience, leveling up, learning what some new mean? schools. Skills. Leveling up. Leveling up, it just means that my in-game avatar or whatever it is that I'm training like in Pokemon or something like that, has acquired enough experience that when it comes across a similar situation, it knows how to be better in that situation. But mechanically, like in the most literal way possible, how right. do you as a player I know? got this. Oh, Your oh. numbers go up, your stats go up, you get new shit, and you do new shit. See, that's also true. I was going to say it takes less hits <laughs> to kill something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that to me is the most obvious... Uh, example we've we sterling and i have just put you know peek behind the curtain a lot of time into the final fantasy remake so a lot of seven remake yeah yes in case you thought it was a different one here in 2020 i mean dawn of souls i don't even get that (laughs) joke oh no the final fantasy one remake is that good it's fine (laughs) (laughs) so when i think power progression i'm like okay I get, I level up, so I get points and I can invest those points into being better at things, whether I'm better at casting my magic or better at having health. That's Mm -hmm. something you can improve at, turns out. And then it's like, oh, here's a new weapon. It does more cool things. And here's a new materia. It lets you do new cool things. And your materia got better, so it hits for more damage. Now you can just heal your entire health and it's great. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. Um, so I, I think in some other games, for example, like like the Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Bloodborne, that, that kind of Souls-like genre that has sprung up, you know, your numbers go up, but that doesn't mean you're getting better. And so I do think <laughs> that... <laughs> Aww. <laughs> so, so there's some kind of spectrum where progression can be either purely about you, purely about your avatar, or it could be a little bit of a mix of both. Yeah, yeah that's a really good way to frame it. Because there's definitely the one end of like... The game is telling you, you are getting better at the mechanics and that's your power progression. Mm-hmm. And the other end where it's like, all right, you hit this story beat. Here's a free new upgrade. And it's telling you really tightly framed in the narrative. The character you're playing as got better and learned something. So okay. now you do more things. It sounds like you are you are kind of focusing on the change element because, I mean, I feel like we all oh, yeah. kind of are looking for a character to change when is, we read a story or progress watch a movie. without change? So do you think that power progression is some kind of mechanical representation of how a video game shows character development? Yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah, it's an example of how a character has progress. Oh, because we called it power progression. Yeah, that's all right. That's fine. No one has to laugh. I got it. (laughs) So you kind of touched on this already, but why do we like power progression so much? It makes me feel like a Saiyan from Dragon Ball Z. Oh my gosh. Okay. You know, you get beat down, but then you get stronger as long as you didn't die. Though I guess using that analogy, if you die, you would get stronger because Saiyan rules, right? I think we're getting lost in the sauce here. (laughs) I I find it rewarding. It's the carrot at the end of the stick, right? It's Mm. like, okay, you did this thing. Oh, new. I'll do anything for a cool, bigger sword. God's honest truth. Yeah, if it's a magic sword, Lindsay's all about it. Oh my gosh. Magic swords in video games, the best. I'm like, I guess this is my character's weapon forever now. If it's on fire, I just won't even take the upgrade. I'm like, I 
nothing's better than a fire sword, no matter what the numbers tell me. Okay. But I definitely think it is a combination of I feel rewarded because I get to do new things sometimes. I mm. think that I played through most of the the latest Star Wars game, Fallen Order. Mm. And that one does a very literal sometimes, okay, now you your character remembers how to do this move, which pin in that because video games do a lot of characters with amnesia who suddenly remember, oh my gosh, I can crouch. Yeah, like Bruce Wayne, right? Oh my God, we'll come to that. But I think in that one, it, it does this thing where, okay, oh, I played enough. My character remembered how to use the force. Now I can grab a vine and swing across this and it opens up new areas. So it creates a good feedback. Loop. I liked that power progression though. Oh yeah, I'm not throwing shade. I mean, well, you, you threw a little shade. You're, a little, just a little you're, you're calling shade. it amnesia like oh again with the amnesia you could get you it's a little shade but you could still you could still get some nice light tan in that shade it's not too heavy so kind of summarizing what we talked about so far it sounds like power progression gives you a little bit of feeling like the stakes have risen because maybe instead of killing a slime now you're killing like a dragon oh that's a good point like too that. yeah the fact that you can now fight the dragon even if it takes the same number of hits that the slime did at the beginning but it also you you mentioned how in final fantasy 7 you get new moves right so there is a way for the game to become like gradually more complex definitely as it goes on definitely. so power progression is like a natural gate to that i think it's kind of like almost a tutorial to get you used to a lot of your skills so you get a new skill like every once in a while and and it might be reduce all the damage you take or do this or like casts fire or now you're aware that there are different types and things have weaknesses Mm -hmm. um or you can put things to sleep or poison them or do all sorts of new things yeah so it's it's like like a slow build like there's a pedagogical nature to power progression i i think in some games yeah i know like at the start of demon souls that just has writing on the round the ground and so you just go and it's like press circle to run and you know i'm I'm glad you brought up demon souls because you don't have the ability to level up in demon souls yeah i also feel like you're just always glad anyone yeah well that goes with that (laughs) i mean it's a great game (laughs) but i mean in demon souls you cannot out level the first stage yeah right? you have you to have you have to, to get, get good so as someone <laughs> who has never played demon souls but i've played the other souls games do you mean you can't level up like you can't invest insight or whatever it is in bloodborne so, or something like it's that? kind of like yeah, in, like in like in bloodborne um when you get the echoes you can't you do anything with them until you die you uh get your first uh insight which makes you a little bit mad and you see the yeah, doll as a doll. living thing. So there's, there's so, just a longer gate until you can start leveling up in Demon yes, Souls. Yes, and that okay. gate is being able to mechanically like defeat a certain kind of challenge that is like the baseline of the game. So leveling up then is literally a reward. Yeah. It says, oh, you figured out this yeah. degree of mechanics. Now you get to level up. Now you can do it a little bit quicker. So another thing I was thinking is that... Um, have you, ever, have you guys ever looked at, like, the difficulty curves of games when they kind of graph that out, especially mm. for, like, a Metroidvania? No, but I'm interested. So Do you mean you, the difficulty curve within one game as, like, you between, go... In, okay. yeah, within yeah, one game. I was picturing, too. like, over time, someone's found a metric for difficulty and layered graphs over so one another. We, so if you think of a game like Space Invaders, right, mm-hmm. as you defeat more of the aliens coming down, they um, get faster. Yeah. Right. right. And you Point have less shields. I'm a Galaga person. So. Okay. Well, each stage in Galaga is harder. Right. No, it's and it's literally the same. 
Yeah. <laughs> you don't have shields. Yeah. Okay. But you get more aliens as you yeah. go. Level so, level. so that's like just a regular curve, always going up, approaching infinity or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, of course, it maxes out somewhere. But does it? In, I guess, modern game design in a post power progression world, the way it works now is you have a curve. And then at some point, you reach a peak of that curve. And then the curve starts going down. Oh. And the reason that curve starts going down is because when you got to that peak, you found your new magic sword. And now all of the enemies take less hits to kill. Oh, you're saying it's like a roller coaster. Yes. Yeah. Or you get armor and now you can get hit more times and not die. So yeah. the feedback makes you feel really good. So you feel powerful as the curve is going down and mm. then you reach a, like a nadir where you maybe you have now fought all of the weak enemies and now you're going like the stakes are upping you're going to a harder place so it's like a constant struggle against the game where you get the upper hand and oh no the npcs and enemies yeah. have the upper hand again and oh well, you have the upper hand that tends to you be you just need to grind yeah. out that first level against all those wolves <laughs> and then you just have a constant like downward slope <laughs> So the the player experience from like a purely mechanical design standpoint is usually carefully crafted so that you have this level of anxiety that's going up and down, which maps to the game giving you rewards. That makes sense. That tracks. So I would say that there's almost a narrative rhythm to that, too, where each of those little curves like you really struggling and then you get something big and now you're like the master of this area. It's like a little bit of narrative relief coming. Yeah, like you the, it's like an inherent is... conflict resolution. Conflict right. resolution. So I think that's kind of part of the pacing of games that leveling up provides. I like that, degree. for uh, sure. Yeah, I for sure see that. Um, the other thing, I mean, there's also kind of a, a dark side to it, of course, when we're talking about... Like, of course, what's what the dark side? With, uh, power progression, which is that uh, it preys on parts of our brain that we don't always have full control over, Right. So the part that likes pizza. Yes. Yeah. For you. It. No, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> no control. I want there. you to imagine that you went to a, a place with all kinds of flashing lights. Yeah. And there's these machines. And sometimes if you pull on the lever, sometimes pizza comes out. Oh my God. Right? I would amazing. Have you let Vegas know that that's an option? <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you pull on it and nothing comes out. But you want that pizza. I do want that. But you have to I put in a new lever again. You have to pull put in a slice every time you uh, pull the lever. <laughs> I have to put in this a is, slice. This is where it's getting complicated. <laughs> um, so I mean, power progression is how a lot of gotcha games work. Gotcha being a uh, a type of machine. Like okay, now we're, we're going like to the claw games. Like, like the claw no. games. Yeah, like you play a claw game or you put in a uh, 100 yen into like a machine in Japan and you turn it and then like a random toy comes out. Oh, the gotcha, gotcha, the gotcha, gotcha Yeah, Yeah, gotcha no, I, I played that game within a Nancy Drew game once. Really? <laughs> so, you do, I mean, I don't know how many mobile games you guys play, but that's like a um, whole genre now. Wasn't that I play a lot of... I thought that uh, gotcha pun thing was... Had an, a crucial part of one of the Shenmue games. Yeah, it was. Which, I don't know if I was a crucial, but yeah. It's I think you needed a specific figurine to progress one of the storylines. Wow. And well, it I have that a- to look forward to because I was gonna, it's <laughs> gonna recommend we try it, but we'll see. I just watch a speed. I play two games on my phone, and I think this says a lot about me. They are Sudoku and Solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> Not a dating sim. No, no. Not yet. And now I'm married, so. So you deleted all of those. Yes. Okay. Yes. With the dating app. She put them in a different folder. <laughs> she put in the settings uh, folder. <laughs> Where no one will ever check. So now the big thing is on like mobile games and has been for like a decade is your power progression is tied to you paying money to 
essentially do um, pulls on a slot machine. Oh, it's like that Final Fantasy one you were into. Yes, Record Keeper. I was so into it. <laughs> so these new weapons that you would normally get when you play Final Fantasy are now like gachapon things. You just get them. And you have a random chance of getting it. But that reward that you get in your brain when you get a level up, you find a new weapon, that like dopamine that's being dispensed. So good. Um, Mm -hmm. It's something that modern game design, and this is like explicitly a thing that people acknowledge, is kind of designed to leverage as best as it can. That makes sense. So that people feel compelled to play your game. It's like opening up a collectible card game pack. Right. Well, that's a lot of the discussion around loot boxes as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of, like the only game I play that has loot boxes is Overwatch, and that's aesthetics. Yeah. But I, I do still so love they them. They try as, as hard as they can to detach it from But I think Battlefront, didn't that have pay like upgrades you could? Almost <laughs> every online FPS yeah. has some kind of okay. leveling up thing now. And the I mean, again, I say this with the the caveat that i think almost every single game ever made is trying to compel you somehow I mean, yeah, they yeah. want you to keep every piece of entertain i should say entertainment media is very invested in you wanting to keep consuming the material i would argue every product ever made um well not all <laughs> see not all art wants to be viewed right that's but fair. that's something special about entertainment media where it is direly important that you actually consume it yeah so that is kind of the push and pull where you know, how much of this is necessary to tell the story, to express what this game wants to tell you? How much of it is to essentially hold you hostage, make you want to finish the game? Yeah. And I think that there's another aspect to that where sometimes people just feel like it needs to be in the game. So mm-hmm. maybe they're not thinking about it as an expression of the narrative and they're not thinking about it as a literal part of the feedback loop to get you coming yeah. back for more, but they're just like, I don't know, this is a game thing. So I got to put that in there. I definitely think yeah. there are more and less elegant ways of integrating power progression into a video game story. Well, I mean, if you're making sequels, it becomes very difficult to have that power progression, especially yeah. when you're trying to have somebody come into the game, like a new version of the game and have it be difficult because you got to get that gratification again. I have no idea how they're going to do power progression with the Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two, which is a mouthful. So they need a better some name. precedent to it. And this is the crazy thing about how we are so used to kind of retreading the same growth story between games because this had there's been games that have not done that like if you've ever played the original Baldur's Gate it is a game that is supposed to take place between levels one and roughly 10 in Dungeons and Dragons interesting and then there's a sequel Baldur's Gate 2 and that starts you at a level more yeah, fun version where you it starts you at like level seven or eight but you can just load your character and just start where you left See, off. that's so interesting because then when you compare it to something like Mass Effect where mm-hmm. you play the same character and you load Load in your story decisions. Well, they had to rebuild him, didn't they? That is how two <laughs> starts. Yeah. But not between two and three. And I don't remember, honestly, how your powers start out. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you definitely go back to square one between those games. And it's the same character that you've customized and you can input your save data but the game isn't meant for you to be, all right, I'm Shepard at the end of game one and I'm mm. basically a god now at the beginning of two, right? I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, it would be hard to play through the game with all of those things. I think maybe game developers have to scratch their head and be like, well, how do we make this game fun again? Because the fun was leveling up. It's the right. fun in the mid t- mid part and fun getting to the end. But if you start at the end, 
then we have to make either everything harder or each of these is like what a 30 to 40 hour game. I think so. And so there's a natural expectation, like you said before, that stakes are rising and and the game is getting more complex and and expecting more of you, but also rewarding you with like big numbers. So if we and, you know, playing devil's advocate here, if you don't start back at level one or something like that, is the expectation that uh, the stakes get ratcheted up and the complexity gets ratcheted up infinitely? I'm definitely saying I mean, it would I don't think the solution is to always have them start with everything. Like I get why this happens because not only is that a lot to ask numbers wise for the developers, they have to make an entirely new bunch of things. Like right. they're like you already have all these tools. How do we make new puzzles? How do we make new everything right. where you yeah. can solve it with only the new things you're about to get, but also while using everything you already have. And had. I think that the, the numbers would go up infinitely which would numbers would start to lose meaning at a certain point mm-hmm. for your damage done and health. And the other thing to consider is even for a sequel, developers are hoping new people pick up the sequel yeah. as their first game. So how do you have someone pick up game two and say, all right, I hope you know all the mechanics because we're just adding on from where we left off. And that's a big barrier of entry as well. So I kind of do want to touch on this and maybe explore how some games handle that because this is a problem that is... Uh, essential to a certain genre of game, the MMORPG, because there are people who have played World of Warcraft since 2004. I don't know anyone like that. (laughs) It's okay, guys. I'm clean. I get it. Now a new expansion comes out and they're like, oh, the the cap isn't level 40 or 50 anymore. Now it's a level 200 or something like that. And so, of course, that's a weird situation because they want you to return to the game. Rather than, you know, start a new character or something like that. But you could start a new character. You could. That's all still, even if you buy the expansion. Boost boost yourself up. Yes. It's within even like power level. It's within the same universe. Back in my day, you had to hire somebody on the internet to run your character. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in Final Fantasy XIV, you literally just buy the levels now. Interesting. Like whenever they release a new expansion. With real money? Yeah. Oh. You can just pay to have your character set at the level they want you to start at for that expansion. You have to pay extra for each level? I don't think so. It's, it's, it's a flat like a boost. Fee. Yeah, it's just a flat Oh, that's fee. reasonable. I was Fine. like, oh man, it's like two bucks per level. Ugh. But the problem would be, too, balancing the enemies around that. Like in mm-hmm. WoW, there are different zones. So you know, okay, this is the whole new zone. I can take my level whatever character there. Oh, well, they, they would just start you... Like essentially they, you, your experience with the rest of the game has just been filled in and your character is just put in final fantasy yeah, 14 with yeah. the right oh. progression at the beginning of the expansion, which is like its own enclosed story. I see what you're saying. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't have a problem with how wow does it. I really obviously like the power progression <laughs> of wow. It's a dangerous thing to talk too much about. It's like Beetlejuice. Well, it might show back up in my life if I say it too many times. One, I mean, one thing that I like about just power progression in games generally, though, is something that I know you've talked about a few times, Chris, but what the experience actually is that you're getting. So mm-hmm. for in, for example, any of the Souls games like Demon Souls, Dark Souls, you're getting souls of people and enemies. Oh, you mean like what is the, the what is commodity like, that yeah. you're collecting? Yeah. Whereas in like Undertale, it was... Spoiler execution points instead of experience points, even though they were just kind of parodying off of that. But like others, it's just experience points. And so what is that? What is Yeah, that's a good point, because, you know, Undertale, as everyone probably knows by now, it it calls it levels, which we generally uh, associate with 
general proficiency, like just being a better person overall. If you look at your stats in any RPG, it's not just your strength going up. It's your wisdom, your intelligence, you know, your spirit. Yep. And they use the shorthand EP, which Mm -hmm. if you've played games, you're like, oh, experience. They forgot the X. (laughs) No, it was EXP. Okay, whatever. Oh, because it's execution points. But in the original Dragon Quest, which is all about fighting monsters to get stronger, to fight more monsters, you know, that's just kind of an abstraction, like a it's an approximation of a Dungeons and Dragons experience or like a PC RPG experience. And it's being condensed down to the most common obstacle, which is violence. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So technically in Dragon Quest one, every time you level up, really, the only thing you're getting better at is killing people. Right. And so I guess Undertale is trying to say this is a we're using experience to mean what the practical effect of leveling up meant in Dragon Quest. Right. I think I'm trying to think of other games that have a very tangible narrative reason for the points you get. Souls are a really great example. Well, I mean, I I also like. And Demon Souls in particular, you could trade the souls away. And and Dark Souls, all the Dark Souls, I think, you can trade the soul of something to get more powerful magic or weapons. And those... Yeah, and I think what I love about that is that you cannot escape in, in the Souls games that your power must come from bloodshed. Even if you pick up souls on the ground, they come from dead bodies. Yeah. Right? So in the Souls games, bloodshed is the core currency of the world now. Right. It is how you buy food and and armor and whatever, but it's also how you get better. Very in line with all of those (laughs) games. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to this dark universe. Oh, in fact, and like they they make light of it. Like you meet a NPC early on in pretty much every game who will give you a coin. And if you look at the description of the coin, it'll talk about like this is currency from an older time. Yeah. Before we just start doing human souls. (laughs) Before we start feasting on the very essence of humanity. And they make a point about that in Demon Souls because the way you level up is a thing called soul arts. It's the only souls game that I can think of where they explicitly explain to you why leveling up uses souls. And it's because soul arts is like evil magic. It's like. Shang Tsung style stealing someone's bad very very bad it's bad but they let you use it because they're like oh it's for the greater good so the hero has to use soul arts for good and it's kind of some Machiavellian uh am I the prince uh sure like it you can (laughs) but like they're like yeah you know if you can kill the greater evil great yeah but then if you want to. If you Spoiler want to. Alert. <laughs> well, I mean, it gives you an option. I don't even know which Souls game we're talking about anymore. Demon, All of Demon them, Souls. maybe? Because remember, Demon Souls is the game that had to explain why are Souls currency. That's true. It's the first It's the first one. Right. After and What I thought was funny is in Dark Souls, they're like, yeah, Souls are currency. What else would be currency? <laughs> like, it's it's part of the dark fantasy where it's just taken for granted. They did so well establishing it in Demon Souls. Any other games you can think of where they really take a literal approach to the EXP? Boy, that's such a good question. I can't leave it unanswered. Spore. It's a bit of a stretch, but when you're starting off, you're literally eating other other parts of animals and then you find their parts. And then as you evolve, you can take the parts that you found and just stick them on you. Oh. So that's in like the first part of the game. I didn't know anyone played Spore. Apparently it was it was actually a success. I really wanted to play it, but I never got around to it. 
Oh, okay. I thought you were saying you had played it and remembered that experience. No, I, I wanted to make a bunch of Squirtles and Charmanders, but... <laughs> so in just, Spore, yeah. you're saying that they are kind of modeling evolution because you are literally taking elements of your environment and you are attaching it to yourself. I mean, you're not like, it's not that you're attaching things that you have found, but it's kind of DNA particles, like you're going to activate some hox gene or something like that to eventually evolve this so when you crawl out of the sea you're gonna have crazy arms or something or big hey, teeth cool. huh. and mine funny mine is also evolution uh related mine is uh evo the search for eden oh okay which is um you start off as like a little tadpole and the game is about you eventually way down the line becoming a mammal and then maybe even a human and um, the like, ultimate that's like end game stuff <laughs> end game <laughs> And uh, the way you level up is you kill other animals and they leave meat and you eat their meat and then you evolve individual parts of your body. Oh, interesting. So again, pretty much the same thing being expressed there. I guess. Just eating so, turtles. <laughs> I'm going to shift it a little and a form of power progression that I, I tend to like theoretically is where you get more points or you get better at something by doing that thing. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, you and I talked about this just the other day. Yeah. I, it came to my mind because of Final Fantasy, where the more you use the materia, it levels up. And if you're not using materia, you're not getting any better at it. So you don't really have access to it. And the natural follow-up to that kind of style is Elder Scrolls, which I'm most familiar with Skyrim, where, mm-hmm. all right, I spent a lot of time crouching. Now I'm real good at crouching. And I like it because it's logical. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I did this, so I got better at it. And sometimes when it's implemented well, it encourages me to use other skills, skills that may not be immediately as useful, but I know if I invest in, yeah. will pay off down the road. So I, I swore off all the uh, Elder Scrolls games after I tried playing Morrowind on the Xbox for when it came out because I could not hit that damned crab Did you, have at you, the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. Have you and never apparently, Skyrim? No, I, I, I kind of refused, but I, I've seen enough. Our toaster of, runs it now. It's yeah. on every platform. Amazing. But anyways, <laughs> like, so what are you saying? Like in Skyrim, if you crouch, eventually you're going to be able to do like deep crouches and then like even they, deeper crouches. I don't know if they ever get to the level of Morrowind where you probably remember in Morrowind, if you would just put a paperweight on your space bar and you just kept jumping forever eventually you can do Hulk jumps. Like you can jump across the landscape. Amazing. And then like you, or you could, I mean, what you could do, what actually is done is drink potions to make you better at making potions and then make potions of jumping and then drink (laughs) potions. And now you're jump, you jump to like the last boss or whatever. I feel like I just heard what a speed run feels like. (laughs) Yeah. That's so, yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, there's a upside and a downside to that, right? Like there, when you play something like, let's say dragon quest, right. And you level up, And now you learned the buff spell, which like raises your defense, right? So now you're thinking, I should use this spell. Like I should, I have a new gameplay option. I should figure out how to integrate it into my play. My rotation. It's almost like a kind of prescriptive sort of power progression where the game is telling you. Oh, that's a good point. Here's a new thing, right? But that uses mana. And what if I need my mana later? (laughs) Yeah. So don't just don't use it. (laughs) I just use normal attack like all the way through. But in... In something like Morrowind or Oblivion, what I think the game is trying to do is say, okay, 10 hours later, here's the character you've become. Yeah. This is, the the levels are describing what you've done, and now you're just getting better at that. So I wouldn't mind that, but what I would really want would be 
for my avatar to change physically based off of that. So if I were just jumping that whole time, I want to have giant quads, like giant legs and just like a tiny, like human body at the top torso. I can't even begin to imagine what that code would be like. Well, right. It's a thing that games do. Some, I mean, kind of. Change, they make your quads bigger if you Not jump a lot. Literal example of. It. I think that literal example <laughs> would be very difficult to implement. There's uh there's characters who like depending on how you develop them, their appearance changes over time. Knights what of was, the Old Republic. Which um which I forgot what happened. Grand Theft Auto game. Oh had yeah the, yeah. Which yeah. Grand Theft Auto game had the hot coffee mod? San Andreas. San Andreas. Okay, so San Andreas. Oh my God! Yeah, you had to lift right. weights. You yeah. had to like actually lift weights, and it would change your body type. Yes, and if you went and biked too much, you did too much cardio, you would actually lose muscle mass. Interesting. Yeah, and it, you saw it on your character. Wow, so, I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember which one it was, so I had to go with. <laughs> You're like, what's the most important part of this game? <laughs> No, Kodor, Knights of the Old Republic is the one where, depending on what decisions you make, you start looking either like a Sith or just normal, but a little glowy. Yeah, I don't know how many times I have to say that. I was so pissed at that game. I know. Just because. It's on the record. I I was the max good character. Oh, I remember and this. And I yes. hit the stupid, like, oh, I like Bastille, though, so maybe I can redeem her. Nope, made me evil. And I was an evil Sith it's still in the blue section. Yeah. And you know, that kind of ties into what we're saying because I feel like that's an example of you thinking, I have moved in this direction the entire game. And now all of this progress that like I felt described all the choices I had made is undone. Yeah. In like one stroke. Right. And it really it Anakin lies counter to a progression system. Yeah. Right? I, so switching topics a little, if we're good on that. I think that a really interesting case of power progression, and we touched on it briefly earlier, is sequels. Mm-hmm. Is how a game, and this happens not just in sequels, but it's it's how a game flexes in the narrative and does some gymnastics to say, okay, you're Batman, but you don't know how to do anything and you lost your entire belt. No, that one makes sense. He's walking through, he's walking to an asylum and they're like, check your weapons at the door, Batman. And he's like, Got it, Commissioner Gordon. No, I'm just kidding. I, that's not what happens at all. But that would have been a cool way to explain, like, you're going through a security checkpoint, so take your belt off. And he's like, okay. And then the villains all <laughs> run away with all of his tools, and they're like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Well, so, oh, my memories. <laughs> <laughs> so touching on Batman, because it is a good example, I think that Asylum is a really good way of saying you're Batman, but your resources are limited, so you're going to have some sort of power progression as you have more access. Because you're on an island. They put, you know, Arkham is isolated, so they did that. But then when they made the decision to go to... The entire city? Yeah, the pseudo-open world, because that's the thing to do, which I, I, I love Arkham City. It's one of my, my favorite games. But... They they now have to make Batman be able to level up again, even though he's already Batman. Like, imagine if you're watching a Batman movie and it was all about him every 20 minutes finding a new tool. It's actually just like Batman Begins. And then at the end of that, we go to the Dark Knight, which starts off with him with Ra's al Ghul again. And he's like, this is how you punch. And then we, we finally get to the Joker. It's a much longer movie this time. But then we get to... That the Dark Knight Rises. I don't even know. Well, and we question, go back yeah. to Ra's al Ghul again because he's got to Be- learn it. Before right? you even get to the sequel, what do you think leveling up is used to mean in Batman Arkham Asylum? 
Do you feel like he is growing as Batman? No, I don't feel like Batman is growing at all. I think it's just literally Batman's like, "Mm, I need this thing. Better get this thing and start doing this with that thing. It's like a rage meter. It's like he can take more hits now because he's that angry that this is still going on. He could be home (laughs) sleeping. Okay. (laughs) Not at night. He sleeps during the day. Speaking of rage, that kind of makes me think of Kratos, who in every game loses all of his powers, though I think it's a cool way that they do it in the god of war ps2 version not god of war ps4 mm-hmm. to god of war 2 and in that one he's the god of war he's there he's sitting on his throne and zeus is like boom finger beams you've lost all your powers we're sending oh, you to hell you're immortal now you're yeah. immortal and and, 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 and and that's that's like a thing in myth too in the yes confines of the story and the scope of the story that made sense and it was a cool way to fight your way back to what you had because it's a revenge story now yeah it's an enticing setup and a good narrative reason for him to not have his powers and so your loss of your progress becomes part of the stakes you want what you earned back and now you're hoping you get to the end of the game you get that back yes and i think then maybe shifting to compare it to god of war (laughs) PS4. ps4 yeah where he seems to have lost a lot of those powers. And part of it narratively is he's buried away his super cool chains or whatever. Mm. So you assume maybe he's moved away from some of those powers. But the game does have some moments where he's just like, yeah, I can't do this. Can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? I've and seen I, you in the other game. Yeah. You, you split a mountain at the beginning of this game with your fist. It is, it is hardly <laughs> the most egregious example of it, but it's the game that... Where I really realized, like, wow, leveling up is utterly meaningless in a lot of modern games because this seems to go against what the game is expressing through its own story, where I'm spending the majority of my gameplay time. And, you know, we talked about this in the God of War episode already, so I won't get too into it. But, you know, you spend so much of this time figuring out what axe handle should Kratos put on his axe. And did Kratos, should Kratos remember this move to do with his twin blades which he forgot how to use now, or should he use this other move? And is he good enough with them? Versus Atreus, who's the whole game is about Atreus's change and his growth into a god. So it made me think like, well, this is here because it has to be there because this compulsion mechanic needs to be there. And one thing I'm wondering is, do you guys think that leveling up is, as in when I say leveling up specifically, like numbers go up leveling up. Is that part of the form of video games now? Like, is that like almost how, like if you watch a Hollywood movie is, is what I would propose, right? And you're watching like a big budget production and everyone's face looks flawless all the time, right? You don't really, that's not part of the narrative, right? Of the movie. You're not thinking this movie is telling me something by making everyone look gorgeous. It's just the way it's all done now. Yeah. You're yeah. like, you're like, this is part of the form of the movie where I just expect by the format being a Hollywood movie that everyone looks pretty. Is that what's going on with leveling up? I think I that people, have, I think it's commonly used that way, but I, mm. I do think it it isn't every game. I mean, certainly not every game. We just recorded The Last of Us, and well, that does not have number values. I'm going to make an oh, argument. It yeah, it does. does it? Yeah, yeah. So How that's another one that we could use. Though. Like physical experiences, your scrap that you're getting, and then yeah. you use that to modify your guns to make it better, and then you find more guns as you go along, and. I haven't, we haven't played Last of Us 2 yet because it's not out at this recording. That would make it hard to play. I would guess that you got to do those pills again. (laughs) I imagine that you're going to find more pills because you're, I don't know, um, I don't know why, but your guns Mm -hmm. and your other stuff, I'd make the argument that 
You're not going to carry around a rifle, a flamethrower, a yeah. magnum with you everywhere. So as, as you go through the story, you're going to find more of these items off of corpses or something, pocket them, and yeah. then upgrade them as you would because it's not, it's what, 10 years in the future in this game, in this and upcoming game? To, to clarify, like, I don't think The Last of Us is nearly as bad about it as God of War because. You know, that's a story about someone going to a place they haven't been to before and they are they must be changing during this journey. So I can buy that, like, you know, Joel is picking up pills and getting a little better at taking hits and he's getting a little bit better at drawing the bow. Yeah, I felt that was a little more seamless. Yeah, but I still felt when I played it like this is here because it has to be here. So you mean like any form of progression oh yeah yeah because i mean was that invisible to you because that was not a thing in every game for a long time oh i thought in last of us it's it's very subtle Mm -hmm. it's just visible enough for me to be like oh cool i'm getting better right but did you expect that to be a part of the game uh yes so that's what i'm saying that was never an expectation yeah i definitely expect that to be a part of any game i pick up unless Mm -hmm. it's I mean, you know, we play something like Doki Doki where I'm just kind of going through the story. I don't expect it there. But if I'm going to be punching something, I expect I'm going to get better at punching punching, something. Which is a very new uh, expectation, I think. Like if you look back in the 90s and you played like if if The Last of Us were made in the 90s, it would probably be more like Tomb Raider or or Resident Evil or something like Mm -hmm. that, which those games do have bits uh, like bits of progression, but you wouldn't really be leveling up. Like the Donkey Kong 64 game, you just kind of get a new character and then that's that. Yeah, and and I it's mean, like, like a tool. I guess that's power progression has been a, I guess the same thing. I know. I just realized it I is said, the same thing in that one. And in the 90s is when we started to see it applied to more genres. But I would also but... see too, like Zelda is a thing in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. But, that has but you that's unlocking the... more hearts. Right. But that's like an action adventure RPG. Right. So but you're saying non-RPG. Yes. That's a pretty, I would say oh, maybe late 90s, early 2000s is when I guess started I'm to such an RPG thing. person that when I think video game, I'm just playing an RPG. So, I mean, there are definitely video games that don't have it. Mm-hmm. When you think of something like, like Overwatch, right? that has no level progression, but it's yeah. also not telling, like your playing is not what seamlessly reveals yeah. smooth narrative. Although even Overwatch is an anomaly in that situation because- even online competitive FPSs yeah. have unlockable items. That's and true. Sometimes things are just better. Street Fighter. We've talked about that. That one doesn't have level. Now it does. Now uh, you level up with your fight money so you can oh, unlock more no. stuff. What about Halo? Now, now, now these aren't like power progression for your character in the game, but usually more options that Got you it. unlock. But Halo, I mean, you don't really unlock anything except you yeah. can choose a difficulty and just go through it and you're like, here's every enemy's right. health this is your how much this gun will do you'll find guns everywhere oh my gosh well you okay. do get new you do get better guns but then you get kind of reset sometimes yeah so it's almost like an old school fps it's like I this is the experience say, uh, like a tailor-made experience for this this level you're yeah. gonna have it every time i was gonna say a brief related to that golden eye Mm-hmm. There's like almost randomized power progression where you want to be the person that gets the coolest guns and then oh, you're you the mean winner. In multiplayer. Yes, multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. I didn't who played single player on that game? Uh, that I like did. That was the reason people. I played it. That was a big deal. You, you could unlock thing. the cheats by like doing it. I remember bunker you had to beat within a minute and 45 yeah. seconds on secret no, agent. Yeah, the, yeah, the single player in that game was like a big deal one. It was I don't fun. Know anything about the single player in that game. Although here, okay. On the N64, I only played multiplayer, but I did buy when they did the remake for the Wii, and I was one of two people 
who was like, I got to get the gun Wii attachment and just be James Bond. This is going to be the best game ever. Oh, I got the gun Wii attachment, but that was for... Um, Zelda bow casting. No, oh, it was whatever. the rail, the game on rails uh, over... Overkill? Hooked. House of the Dead Overkill? Yeah, House of the Dead Overkill. Yeah, I remember that. That game was... I think we silly. played it together. Yeah, that game was point. silly <laughs> as all get out. So, I mean, just, we can agree that like at some point these two tracks of game design crossed over and now it's just one track. Of, yeah. We kind of expect are these RPG elements to be there. Even if the game, like the, the narrative doesn't necessarily oh, demand. Man. And it could be because animal crossing has like level ups with your home. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I mean, money. that's the entirety of animal crossing. Literally experiences your money. The <laughs> more money you make in animal crossing, the more money you can make mm-hmm. just like real life. Yeah. That was poignant. Um, <laughs> Do you think that part of it is RPGs have definitely grown in popularity as the go-to video game? Yeah. Kind of like people played three open world games and they were like, I love open world games. And all of a sudden, every other game started scrambling to become open world oh, yeah. as well. I like Absolutely. brown colors with lens flare. Oh, yes. Uh, 2000s I, games. I, I definitely think that's true. RPGs became more mainstream. And then there were some key games that kind of like trojan horse rpg elements in Ooh, what are those like, key games like deus ex in the 90s yeah like, okay it's an fps but like people who played rpgs are like wait a minute i'm getting this cool is an RPG. upgrades yeah they're like this is doing all the things but it's not telling you that it's an rpg yeah and uh devil may cry one one of the first like pure action games to also include like character. Did they not consider Devil May Cry one an action RPG? No, interesting. never marketed as an action RPG. Cause at this point, if a game is announced, I'm just kind of assuming it's some form of RPG. I would even like, no one would call the last of us an RPG, right? No, I don't think so. Would you? It's a third person shooter yeah. narrative. Or, or like an action adventure game. Yeah. yeah action adventure game. Or like action Tomb Raider. Horror? Like people call Tomb Raider an action adventure. Like for- Uncharted. Mm-hmm. Which I don't. Doesn't your health bar go up though over time? I don't. I don't remember <laughs> enough about that. That's like Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid had the weirdest thing where, and it's a like a late '90s game, but take a drag. Technically, you do level up in that game every time you beat a boss. Mm-hmm. Where Solid Snake just touches his head, or maybe his fist no, pumping. No, no, he he takes a drag on his cigarette, oh, and he's right. like. It makes him healthy. Oh, yeah. His health bar gets a little longer and he can carry more items. Weirdest oh, example no. of that because the game never acknowledges it. That's funny. Well, they do acknowledge it, that he snuck the, the cigarettes in. Well, those, he could only get them so, out after the first boss fight because so he snuck them in his butt. In his stomach. Oh, in his stomach. A, well, how do you get it in your stomach? Do you barf it or do you poop it? I mean, hold on. I don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> okay. So... Listeners, you can comment on our Instagram and Twitter that whatever it is. How did Snake get those cigarettes he out? He ate them and they went in his stomach and his stomach acids were suppressed. I feel like I just want to edit all the of bigger that question off. is how did he get them out? Anyway, continue. <laughs> so the flip side of this question then would be how do you how do you increase the difficulty curve yeah. without giving the players new toys? Or how do you express that progress for a character without showing them getting better through mechanics. So are you asking this or are you saying like, can we talk about it? I think both. Both. So have you, I'm asking this, but you cannot talk about it. (laughs) No, I mean like, but like you've played super Mario brothers, right? Yeah. Yes. 
So, but I, again, we talked about this at the beginning. Uh-huh. It gets harder, but you get power up. No, you don't though. That's I mean, the it's thing. the same power up. Yeah, throughout. It, you you are in a temporary state of powered up or less. Yeah, you start powerful. getting like fire flowers. Yes, but yeah, that's but, in like stage one. And our fire flowers yeah. are not in stage one. Are uh, they really? I don't know if there's yeah. any in stage. Yeah, there's yeah. a okay. one in stage one. Well, I think what the real difficulty is is like instant death, like the pits and yeah, things the game like just that. gets harder. So, and harder. can you give me examples outside of platforms? Well, rem- remember how I said how nowadays you have the little curves. Right, and the curves are getting a little higher each time, but then they go down a little bit. That's not really a thing in older games that's that didn't true they just start throwing power. more stuff at you exactly so you do what you do but do more it's but just then harder it's just you harder just had to get better and better at the game do you think that so compare it to like the mario rpg games right in and i think those games tell me more about mario as a character which is mm-hmm. the nature of the beast but in those games i get to see mario grow in very recognizable ways Whereas in the other games, he's not so much of a character as he is a tool. Yes, like an avatar. But I mean, there's ways that you can grow outside of mechanical displays of progress, right? Like you can Mm -hmm. use the storytelling to show character growth. Yeah, I want an example of that. I'm sure it exists. I Uh just, I'm interested to see what comes to mind. For example, in if you were to play The Last of Us and you just stripped out all of the weapon crafting and the pills. Mm Mm-hmm. Joel still has like a change throughout the game, right? And the stakes are still changing yes. and Ellie is still learning things. Yes. You know, I, I would argue it would be 90% the same game emotionally in terms of like, even if it didn't get character. more difficult, I would say you could, it could get more, it does get more. You difficult. could probably you just throw in some more enemies. You give the enemies better yeah, weapons. That's true. Yeah. So what, what, what basically what happens is that we play games that are very long these days. And so, um, because you have that curve that's going up and down and up and down, but the the peak is actually getting a little higher each time, older games compress that. So they cut out a lot of those middle curves and you're having more increases in difficulty in a short period of time and yeah. less decreases. The decreases would be like you play a Mario level and there is a section of it that's intentionally meant to be easy. So you feel a little bit of relief, like your yeah. tension is released. I, uh, okay. I just had a game come to mind before I ask my next question. Okay. I think we need to briefly talk about the Spider-Man games. Not like the new one, mm-hmm. but I think I played one on like the GameCube. We, you know the one, like with the Tobey Maguire movies. Oh, the Spider-Man movie game. Where he yeah. literally goes into a 3D tutorial with a narrator's voice and that's how he learns new moves. And the game is just like... Whoa, I didn't know that. Yes. Oh my gosh. I forget, like... I, I can't remember if you find something in the world that then teaches you the move or if it just happens narratively, but there's this kind of like snarky, sarcastic narrator mm-hmm. and then Spider-Man For some reason, and it just breaks the fourth wall. And the I want to say that talk- narrator was Bruce Campbell, but I don't know why. You're probably thinking of the original Spider-Man game for PlayStation, that's original, the first like big Spider-Man game on PlayStation, which had Bruce Campbell as a narrator and it was like the first 3D Spider-Man game where you could like web swing around and you got new abilities and stuff like that. Wasn't that one based on the movie? No, that was just based. That was just Spider-Man. But speaking of, but then a movie game came out with Toby. McC- okay. Of the snarky narrator for your game, uh, your sp- movie Spider-Man game. I mean, it kind of makes sense because yeah, uh, Campbell as the narrator and the Spider-Man movie? to the game. Oh yeah, wow, that's yeah. not the movie. 
Spider-Man to the game. Well, wow, we're just pulling it up right here now. And Wait, sorry, I think it was Stanley in the first one. That's pretty cool. That is, well, now, yeah. now I guess I think he sounds like Bruce Campbell. I don't know. Wow, you know, that's Full Excelsior. So, um, no, yeah, Bruce Campbell apparently is this super snarky narrator, and he just directly talks to Spider-Man and moves him into this virtual reality space and is like, time to learn a move, so in if my, you can. In my mind, mm-hmm. that's what happened in the movie. <laughs> so you've got Spider-Man being like, uh, how do I shoot web? You know, he's like putting his different fingers down. He's like, I don't know what I did. How did you even do the I love you sign sign language and then just shoot webs out of your wrist? Sorry, I could go on and on about like Spider-Man, the movie with Tobey really? Maguire. Yeah. So what 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 place narratively do you think that no these tutorials? A lazy place. They were just like, how do we make Spider-Man learn moves? It kind of reminds me of the Superman the 64 wall. game. Where Wait, they but just have like no tutorial, but they say like a little like text box at the beginning oh, well, of each level. Well, that's because you're actually in a video game. <laughs> right. I know in that one you're actually yeah. in a video game, but still like. But I thought you were saying that there was a part of the story where Spider or Peter Parker's like, let me play the simulation of how this move would. No, work. no, it just completely breaks the fourth wall. <laughs> it just know. puts him into a virtual reality space for no mm-hmm. reason. And the narrator's like, time to learn how to punch. And you're like, okay. Like so you call in that the a world, punch, sissy? the voice of God presumably speaks to Spider-Man, and that's not his superpower. Ooh. So I just thought of that as another really terrible example of power progression in a video game where it does not care about the narrative. It's like, we just got to get this mm-hmm. information to the players. So then the follow-up question I wanted to ask there is, what do you think are examples of the best narratives for power progression? I think that power progression is always going to be a very natural fit in a story about growth. I mean, a lot of people have probably seen like the Eagle Raptor video about how Mega Man X is actually about Mega Man, like reaching his true potential. Like the yeah. story of that game is yeah. you find out that Mega Man X was designed to be like a fighting robot. And okay. he was made into just a normal human he, yeah. robot. He was made to with be like a gun a, arm. Well, yes, he was made to be like a normal human because Dr. Wily wanted him to choose if he wanted to engage in violence or not. He wanted that to be his choice. Oh my God, is that really the game? Yeah. And he chooses yes. And at the beginning of the game, no. you meet Zero, who yes. is like your mentor, and Zero has all of the power-ups already, so he's like a badass. Whoa, and every- I'm going to be like that one exactly. day. Sorry, so I was every just time you, go you get a new like power-up, you look a little bit more like Zero, and it's showing you that Mega Man, or X in this case, is actually choosing to commit himself more and more to this battle and say, yes, I am going to become this like warrior robot. Interesting. And so his appearance changes, his efficacy changes, and it's all supposed to be about him changing uh, as a person. That sounds like a really good use of power progression to convey that growth and that yeah. narrative. And, and of course, it's not a coincidence that like RPGs, it's pretty much part and parcel with being an RPG. Right. right? I like, this is a silly example, but I like it because I think it, it works for the tone, but the Zelda games especially like Breath of the Wild, where the only two things you're really improving are your hearts and your stamina. Mm -hmm. And you do that by completing challenges and just asking a god. It's very literal. It doesn't, like no one revolutionized anything there, but I think it's so simple, it works. It's simple without breaking the fourth wall, like Mm Spider-Man simple, but very in tune 
with the world, especially because you don't have to do that power progression in that game. And it's very fairy tale like. Like yeah. in a fairy tale, the hero they grow as a person, they get more brave, they they get more passionate, but they don't like really get more muscular, right? right. But they find a magic sword so or a magic cape. That's like everyone but Breath of the Wild, right? How every yeah. temple is essentially its own hero's journey where you go in and then right. you're like, oh, no, a, a baddie. And then I get the gift and I'm like, I can use this to kill the bigger baddie. Yeah. And the but only I think way in Breath of the Wild still. Yeah. It's, it's, it's still a gift is being bestowed upon you as you discover temples and complete the oh. challenges. Yeah. So the idea is that. You know, Link is growing more perseverant. He's becoming more heroic in his heart. Um, he's having more courage. <laughs> he <has> more hearts. <laughs> but um, in terms of like the things, the the physical power up tools, those are like gifts from the gods because you know you get them from temples, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. You get them from things that are bigger than you, and then at the end, very often Link chooses to go and return these things. At the end yeah. of Link to the Past. He says, I don't need the master sword anymore. And he buries it back in the pedestal. And the game says, um, ironically, and the master sword sleeps again forever. (laughs) You you know, (laughs) you know, I have now that you said that, I imagine that he goes back to every single one of the temples and he's like, all right, ice rod. Back in there. And now the ice rod sleeps again forever. And then he goes, the boomerang. Now the boomerang sleeps again no, forever. No, I think he's like, I'm going to keep the boomerang. The bow and arrow. The bow and arrow. Oh, now the bow sleeps again forever. First of all, we The ability to jump now sleeps again forever. We know for sure that he He comes keeps... back to the gap on the way home. <laughs> he keeps the boomerang and the bow and arrow because he has them in Smash Brothers. Oh, that's true. So, and the hookshot. Yeah, and the hookshot. Well, no, no, no. Or... Well, when he got his invitation to Smash Brothers, he's like, oh, got to go get my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he geared up again. He's like, I don't need that ice rod. Right. <laughs> that would have been cool, though. I would have liked an ice rod. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was going to say for two games Were you I like. like the, the power progression? Narratively. Yeah. Final Fantasy X? No, I'm just kidding. That was. I'm not talking about Final Fantasy X. <laughs> Fears, though. I will be so... angry about the power progression of Final Fantasy X. Why? <laughs> I don't do know it, what the I hell it means. What, what is even happening in that game? I don't what? remember. Spheres. Clearly, okay. I, I was doing like the aliens meme fo- pose right there. but So for spheres. those of you who don't know, in Final Fantasy X, um, your experience points are spheres that you find after some battles. And the way that power progression is modeled is there's a big grid and there are paths on this grid with nodes on them. That, and each node gives you some kind of stat power Oh, yeah, ability. yeah, yeah. It's like a little map almost. Right. And so in theory... I li- it's very cool because it's kind of saying this is a visual representation of each character's journey through their own profession. Where Except Lulu, Kimari. <laughs> yeah, where Lulu is like walking the path of the black mage and, and Titus is walking the path of the, the, the thief. No, Titus is like just, no, he's, just, he's, just he's just like the hasty. What would I call him? Sword uh, generic protagonist. <laughs> no, he is more than that. He's, he's a, a fighter, I would say. Yeah, he's like for most of Final Fantasy X. Main character is that? Yeah, is that or he's like a bard. You know, he's Combat. a fighter bard. Yeah, he, like he has, on he has the cheer. Oh yeah, yeah. He is not charismatic to be a bard. I'm, I am offended. Uh, he is the he's super so charismatic. charismatic. If he cheers you on, you can come back to life. Ugh. So Take I would that. Part, stay dead. I would choose death. Very cool. But I've always wondered, what are spheres like? Why? Why do these spheres give you this ability to walk this path? What does this path represent? What does it mean if Titus... You know, I said this is a joke, but I don't even remember what my real answer was anymore. (laughs) 
I mean, I like I, I like the idea that the game wants you to think oh, of a journey inside of your mind at the same time that you're doing a literal well, journey. Well, doesn't that one game. have characters can intersect with one another's paths? Yes. One character being good at something helps support another character be good at something else? So pretty Not much you part, just walk yeah, everybody you okay. walk everybody down Waka's path because then they'll never miss. <laughs> they'll be fast and never miss. Okay. But, right. Waka is the best in Final Fantasy. But anyways, the real answer that I was gonna give was um The Witcher three. Okay. Really? I, I like it because you know, you level up and you get that nice satisfaction and you don't really change anything but you get points that you can allocate to your different skills to show that you've been using them. And so it kind of gets but you wrong. Wait, that you way. definitely level Hold up, up. in that game. Yeah, yeah. Also, don't you have to like unlock and improve your little magic spells? Like your little, yeah, that's what I was saying. And you, why you, you no. take, you get points no, 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 that you no. put into there. Stop. This is the Batman problem and the Kratos problem where Geralt is a seasoned witcher who is not only is he supposed to be a seasoned witcher before even the first game, I believe he's also yeah, had two games, yeah. two games. And he's like, Oh, how does that work? Actually, they actually make him look older in this game, but yes. he has this is like end of life. Uh, but he has access to all of them. And uh -huh. well, he's, just, he's just out of practice. Yes. Because there's less monsters in the world. So oh, he's kind no. of like, Boo -hiss. he's Boo like, Boo -hiss. Oh, I'm going to get back into the groove of it. And then he's like, Agni, I'm going to burn you to at, at least. He doesn't have to relearn all of his basic magic. He still, knows it still knows quen i guess that which is the most important one that's the shield right yeah yeah i only yes. no but I, I know what you mean i only used I, shield and fire i i had all these moments where you would see some bandits and they're level eight and i'm level two and i'm like it's time to get my ass handed to me that's true yeah bandits. there are literal numbers in that game to tell mm, you i guess which i don't take right. issue with again it's not a problem yeah i just would not bring it up as an example of the most seamless <laughs> integration i didn't power say for seamless there. i was saying for one i liked where so here's a question I have. What are the games where but, let's not say like what is the best example necessarily of it, of a game using it well, but like what game had the biggest impact on you via power progression where you really felt like something about you had changed because your character was doing things differently now? That's such a hard question because it's such a thing I associate with video games. As someone who yeah. who played more RPGs than anything else. They might be a very early example. It's just in your a life. video game. Uh -huh. Well, but when I think of like Dragon Age Origins and things like that, leveling up wasn't. Oh, it wasn't like shocking to you. Right. I'm yeah. going to say it, it. Pokemon. Okay. Why? I like that example because we, I mean, for reasons we talked about in that episode. Yeah. But like, I, I think it's Pokemon because you send your guy, your, your Pokemon out, and they're just beating the ever loving crap out of one another. And they're like, now I know how to do it better. And I can take more hits because I'm stronger. And, and it's just kind of. Well, and then you, at the end, they're, they're telling you it, like that, that represents your love for your. Right. <laughs> right. But like the fact that you've stuck with some Pokemon and they've gained those secret skills. Yeah. I think that's so very, brilliant in that game. It's very tangible in that game too, in a mm -hmm. good way where even within the context of the game, it would make sense to understand they are quantifying a Pokemon's level and identifying their stats the same way when like you watch an MMA match, they list like height, weight, reach. Mm -hmm. There are these basic attributes that you want to know about a fighter or, or most athletes in sports. <laughs> well, that uh, 28 foot long giant rock snake just hatched out <laughs> of an egg, but we've got this uh, worm right here. <laughs> this worm has seen so we many battles. 
<laughs> it's uh it's it's the top tier of all rotatas right <laughs> here and uh i you know but i'm worried about that giant 28 foot long rockworm versus this uh six well, foot tall or six foot inch six inch tall rat you made, wow, that rat you made a really good point though that like in pokemon they go out of their way to hide some of the ball from you like they try to make it seem like there's some invisible aspect to your stats in the game like your relationship is not at least in the early games they don't show you that your relationship is having an impact as they're leveling up but you see the evidence of it when they actually go and fight another pokemon or if you catch a wild level 100 diglet and you compare it to your homegrown level 100 diglet yeah and you can clearly see that yours is better um i mean i think that's powerful right that's cool that's the game well done literally showing you a manifestation of a relationship that it's describing. I will say, so this is a slightly, this isn't really an answer to the question because it isn't a specific game, but for me, I really love when power progression gives me a new move and I'm like, holy shit, this is the move I'm going to use. It's like a qualitative change. Yeah. Especially, I mean, and sometimes it exists narratively where you watch your character learn Mm. that move. It's funny because you're not like a huge Metroidvania person, but that's like core to how Metroidvania is. One of the things like that, that reminds me of is the Tales games. Um, in like Tales of Symphonia, Tales of Vesperia, Tales of the Abyss. Um, if you, you, you get a Tales starting of the, of the night, no, shush, <laughs> you, you get, you get moves like special uh-huh. moves that use up your mana, but the more you use them, yeah, you invent the, new moves, you invent new moves. You used a lot of like stabbing techniques. You'll get like a better stabbing technique. That's but if tough. you've used like a cool move, like another, like flip attack with the stabbing attack, you'll get a cool flip stab attack later as you've used more of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool way of yeah, doing it. Yeah, because it's kind of connecting to actions you're taking in the game, kind of like the Elder Scrolls example. I had to say, though, my biggest, like, and this is like a very early game. And funny enough, this comes after I played like Dragon Warrior 1 and like Final Fantasy 1. When I played uh, Link to the Past, which is like the first of those games that I actually beat by myself, I remember looking at like my cousin or maybe it was whoever owned the game before me, their save file. And I don't know if you remember this in Link to the Past, it shows Link on the screen with his sword stretched out. So you can see his shield, what clothes he's wearing, what sword he has. And you would look at this end game save file and his clothes are all different and his sword is golden and your sword is just a shitty normal sword. Yeah. And his shield like is covering his face because it's so big and yours is like a tiny little blue dot. (laughs) And I remember thinking like, man, what the fuck happened between my game and his game to Link? Like, what has Link gone through to become this different So person? were you, like, so excited to find that out? Yeah, because that's cool. that was the thing I used to do. Like, that's a, a very old, like, I think that probably doesn't happen much anymore where Love I would it. rent games or buy a pre-owned game and I would get stuck See in my part. Yeah, and I'd be like, how did I get there? Yeah. And so that was one of the first games where I thought, Every time you look at your character, and this is like a cool thing about levels, is it's always showing you movement. Even when no no movement is physically happening, you are always being like viscerally reminded of the fact that you are totally different from how you were 10 hours ago. Yeah. And so I would look at Link and I would see visual evidence of this on the screen with him being red now instead of green. I think the closest experience I would have to that is wow. Mm-hmm. Where you like look around. Yeah, your pauldrons get bigger. And I bigger. look like a damn peasant. <laughs> and then someone yeah. would fly in on a mount with like oh my glowing God. material. Dude, I used to play Ragnarok online. Yeah. And you would know the people who played 100 hours. 
they would have literally angel wings. Yeah, is 100 hours a lot. Okay, maybe no. maybe not that much in, yeah, in that's MMO. Like... <laughs> but however, however many hours, Push like league. you'd be a normal looking sprite, cool design, and they would come in and they would have a halo. Yes. They would have lotuses under their feet or whatever. They just walk I, and they're just Buddha. The yes, thing I exactly. liked, especially about WoW, was you would get some equipment, had great stats, uh-huh. but you could only get through a specific quest line combined with random drops. Yeah. So some equipment had like narrative value too. Like you would be playing this quest line and people would talk about, oh, like this character had this really cool sword and you'd be like, oh man, I'd love that. And then you would have to complete the quest line. So you'd be running these dungeons and high ends and some of them would culminate in a side boss and a raid. So the effort you would have to go through to get this gear would be pretty incredible. And then when you got it, it would be like gear from the story. And you'd be yeah. like, dude, I've spent hours upon hours upon hours grinding for this one piece of equipment. Yeah. And I think that that's part of why later in WoW they added, I don't know if, I assume it's still a feature. I don't know why they would take it away. You could get new equipment to look like previous equipment. So oh, you yeah, could still the get the better stats. Yeah. But then I think it was like trans modify, trans something. Transmogrify. Yeah, that sounds right. To make it look like, so I just had a big sword and a bikini on all of my characters. I know that one of my friends back in like 2003, 2004, whenever it was, he had, I don't know any, I never played WoW. I think it was like Thundermorn or something, like a big, super rare sword. Okay. And he was like telling, he's like, it's like a 0.0001% drop and it's the coolest thing and it's bound to me and nobody can ever take it from me because I don't know. Anyways... I just does, yeah, and I feel like those items being in your inventory, it's almost like you being able to attribute this many hours I spent, all of these experiences, all culminated in this one item, which yeah. is always with me now. Like it's this keepsake you have. Yes, it combines. It's a good combination of personal narrative value, where your personal narrative is the time that you put into it and the odds of getting the drops, because some of them are. Like you get these multiple drops and then take them somewhere else to have them forged into something new. I had a sword like that for a while. Mm-hmm. And then so it's like Monster Hunter. There's yeah. also the value narratively where you've watched the actual story of this weapon was a big, a big deal. Yeah. Speaking of Monster Hunter real fast, that game doesn't actually have any levels. It's just yeah. you harvest new materials and you get better recipes to eat before you go on a hunt. It's like it does. You don't everything. get better equipment. You get, better equipment. you get better equipment, but that's okay. it. There's power progression of almost every kind, but not levels. Yeah. It's like everything but that. Yeah. It's like your skill is going up as a player. There's a visual representation of your skill and the time you put in. There are like items making you stronger. Just no levels. Yeah. That's cool. And um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit just briefly about some weird games that we okay. kind of, I, I feel like we didn't really mention, but we talk about them so much. Like we, we have to bring up that like Persona uses social relationships to make you stronger. Yeah. Right? I love yeah. that. And like it, it also kind of distinguishes between your power level outside of um, the dungeon and your power level inside of the dungeon. Yeah. And Persona 3 in particular made that like a plot point where one of the characters, he's kind of a loser in high school and like not like a loser, like he's a he's being picked on or something. He just doesn't feel like he has anything going for him. OK, so he's experiencing puberty. Right. He feels like <laughs> he's just completely unremarkable. Right. Yeah. And you go into Tartarus is the big dungeon of that game, right? which is your school. 
funny enough. And I would totally go to a school named Tartarus. Oh yeah. Well, it's that during at midnight. I prefer Elysium, but yeah. I want to know their matriculation rates before I go. But oh gosh. So at midnight, the, the school turns into a dungeon when and everyone except for right. people who can see this extra hour of of the evening or whatever. Um, they're asleep or they're put in these coffins and you guys have to get to the top of the tower to fight an avatar of death to stop death from coming from everybody. Okay. And so that's why that game, like, you know, you progress through time because you know that the world is going to end on December 31st and you are taking one day at a time, getting closer and closer to death. Right. Even as you are getting stronger and stronger. Okay. And so this character is so into this. Like he's like every night I'm like getting better at Tartarus in a way that my life has not been progressing normally. Like his social links are probably shot. Like they're not (laughs) doing great. Right. And he asks you like, do you think a person can be good at school and in Tartarus? Because he, at this point, he wants to live in Tartarus. Like he thinks his whole identity is attached to this kind of progression. And notably, the game allows you to go like study for your test or get better at baseball or whatever, but it never ever ties your social stats to your in-dungeon like stats. Like they are connected in the same way that they're connected in later games. But it's not like because your guts went up, your strength goes up. Interesting. Right? So you're really balancing the separate worlds with your power progression. And they do interact, but they don't explicitly interact. It's up to you to like make make friends or something like that. That's cool. And I thought that was interesting because the game is trying to show you that like there is a duality to your character and you are making sacrifices along one track of progression to make progress on another one. Which does sound very Persona. Yeah. That's absolutely. Cool. One other game I wanted to bring up, which I think Sterling will have something to say about. Do you guys know what Progress Quest is? No. Because I feel like this is the logical endpoint of this discussion. Really? Do you know what? Why do you think Sterling has something to say about it? Do you know Progress you'll, Quest? I you'll know when I describe it. But okay. I feel like I've played it. Progress Quest was a work of satire in the early 2000s. Okay. Where it was it was marketed on the website and like people were kind of doing their own like joke marketing for it like as fans. Uh it was a very detailed RPG, like almost like a single player MMO. And you would open this game up, you would make a character, and then your character would start walking to what they call the killing fields and start quote, executing enemies. And then they would walk back to town okay. and they would sell all their stuff, get more money and they would get more equipment, get more experience. Then they walk back to the killing fields. And all right. They keep doing it. And then like sometimes they'll learn a new spell or whatever. And all the time you're just watching. Um, you're not playing the game at all. You don't play. The game is just on and it's called, it's called it's, Progress Quest. Oh, so it's like Cookie Clicker. Exactly like Cookie Clicker, oh. but even less gameplay than Cookie Clicker because you never made any decisions. You don't even get to click? You don't click anything. You just minimize the game. You put in your taskbar. Okay. And then a year later, you're like, whoa, I'm level a million. Interesting. And this became um, an elaborate like role playing thing where in the forums, people were like, yeah, and then when you get to this level, you unlock graphics and then like you get new gameplay things and people were just kind of like riffing on this fake game they were playing. And everyone thought it was like this funny joke, like, haha, a game you never play, but you get the rush of leveling up and that's all there is to the game. And then like seven, eight years later, we got Candy Box. Which was the precursor to Cookie Clicker. Yeah, it was an RPG. Honestly, I'm going to level with everyone. I've never played nor seen Cookie Clicker. I like I've heard it referred to, but it's like the boogeyman. It's like oh, oh, so we'll describe it. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. So I assume you click. 
Candy Box is a game where you were clicking on things to make candy, which made your character stronger. And you you move. They were like made of like ASCII graphics, like text graphics. Okay. And you move them around in this little funny world. And it was like a normal RPG where you fought battles and you did click on stuff to do things. Okay. But it was limited by how much time you left the browser open because your character passively got stronger. Interesting. So, so you're it, like encouraged to just leave the browser open? Yes. And certain points you had to because you would have no other way to progress unless you made a certain number of candy canes or something. All right. So that was kind of part of the joke is, you know, this is an RPG, but instead of where you might be grinding or something, you're just leaving the browser open. And then someone saw that and was like, what if it was just only about that? And that's where we got Cookie Clicker. Okay. And Cookie Clicker is a game where you have a small cookie business. And you're just selling cookies. And every time you click somewhere, you make one cookie. And then you buy upgrades. So it's like, now you make two cookies. Wait, is it like... Simon says or something where you, like, no. you have to click the button when no. it lights up. No, literally once you have X amount of cookies. Clicking. You, you can use this, like sell those cookies to buy new things. So you can start buying factories and then you can start buying grandmas yes. and then you can start buying. But like, you just click. Yes. You're all the entire game is you clicking to make numbers go up and then you use those numbers to buy upgrades that make numbers go up faster. And then you keep clicking with those faster numbers to make more numbers and so on and so forth. So this is the ultimate reduction. Yeah, it is. is It is all about progression. And then there's just like a thin veil of a narrative. There's a couple like cookie clicker esque games on the uh, on like PlayStation right now, too. Yeah. And the the games have gotten more and more detailed. Like there was a game that I think we should eventually cover called A Dark Room, which is a very interesting, very narratively like focused game that uses the cookie clicker mechanics to tell you a story. Okay, so you just have to click and get bigger, darker room. You, You don't even have to click. You just let it go sometimes. To, to do stuff for it's you. It's not even a game. No, it is a game. It's just there are parts oh, where you don't click on But there are parts where you do click? Yes. No, where's like the you're line, It's like you're playing a game. Chris, because I have to click play for a movie to start. Well, what about like no, it, what, what about like Farmville? Yeah. It's like games of, like that. Or like it's like Starcraft where you... You have to log in and manage Farmville. Yeah, so imagine if you... I, I had a Farmville. That's one, that's one of the ones that I did do. That is kind of like a cookie clicker game. Yeah, it's more similar. Clicking. I had to make a lot of decisions in that game. A lot of... F- I had to choose. <laughs> I had like, to choose. Aren't all video games just where I should invest in? There are like speed runs of Cookie Clicker, so there's like you could play for score. What does that mean? Um, you're you trying- just click faster. Well, if uh, I can explain it to you, no, I'm gonna keep guessing. <laughs> so you're never gonna get it. <laughs> it's, it's in other insane. words, it's just like how what upgrades do you pick at which time to get to this many cooker- cookies the fastest? What about the Eldritch Cookie Lord? Yeah, and the other element to that game, yes. <laughs> there's a story to it. The other element to the game is that as you get more cookies, um, the graphics on screen start to change to make it seem like you have tapped into some dark power that like is like the cookie gods that exist beyond our. You know what? Plane. I've done a 180 on this game, and it sounds amazing. <laughs> that's what, I mean. I think that's what hooked people. Yeah, right? is the fact that the game took these weird. It's not like the game. The game took these weird twists, but like what you were looking at as your cookies went up started to change. Yeah, I mean, I had it going on. In my background when I was living in China, like yeah. the entire time, and then it's, it, it was just nice because you could come back and you're like, "Oh, cool! I've got whoa! Is that a cookie eldritch demon?" Well, so okay. I guess the closest thing I've played to this then is the Fallout 
Yeah, Fallout Shelter. Is yeah, shelter. yeah, I played that. That sounds like this, where I would have to check in and send some people out to do some things. And I'm like, all right, I'll check back oh, in an that hour. That's essentially like the tiny state tower. of the genre now. Okay, yeah. and okay. Tiny tower. I played that. So game. A, a dark room is if you took an RPG, but at certain points you had to wait until something I won't say what happens enough that you could then continue the story. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, since we talked about Progress Quest, I've been playing it. So, oh my God, let's see what's on this. What's on the screen for you? Uh, I have gotten the garlanded hood of incarceration, but I'm supposed to be seeking the crucial. What I'm looking at here is just text. Yeah, there's no graphics. Yeah, Yeah, there's no graphics. I envisioned anything else. It's a text-based game. Yeah, this doesn't even look like a text-based game. This just looks like a list populating in a file. Do you want to see where the actual like dramatic present of this game is no yes i don't understand right the question the right here it's this bar see the, the little text over up. the bar that's telling you what's oh my happening. gosh this is like okay do you remember in the sims when it would load and it would say like nonsense like populating Re- unicorn recombobulating the yeah corn yeah that's what the bottom of what, what is this right quest now? progression uh, progress executing quest? a greater fly most of the time it's executing something that so, could literally be in the sims when they I, it up. I like to imagine that while i'm running this on my computer it's like that that game that they put on the playstation 3 where if you were running it it was trying folding to, at home yeah folding yeah. at home you're you're using your processing power to uh while you're also unfolding yeah. genes, it's also running things to power a greater scientific endeavor. Yeah, it's, you know, that's also basically what Bitcoin ended up being. It's a cookie clicker, but it turns into money, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate cookie clicker. Man, but I could have been. What would you say the narrative is around Bitcoin? I could have been mining uh-huh. Bitcoins and I was just mining cookies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I. I mean, it clearly shows like these these increment they're called increment games clearly show that there is some appeal there of you you would commit to you, oh, you commit to something like you you put a push a start button you go about your day you come back and no matter how shitty your day went there is some story happening on your computer where it says hey in this world. You made progress. I feel like I need to download progress. <laughs> you know, but I mean, isn't that what WoW kind of is too? Where let's say you have. Except if like, you're not putting the time in, it's not going up. You're so, put, yes. So you have to put the time in, but it's not like you necessarily I'm like have to be. I'm like offended by that question. You should just, down, you well, should just open up Cookie Clicker any, and a any tab RPG and just have that going. Any RPG where you can grind. So in WoW, if you go up to an enemy, mm-hmm. right? Or Dragon Quest or whatever, and like the weakest enemy in the game, right? And you beat it which might be like pressing A or something, it might be the simplest action you can take, you will get one experience point, right? If you somehow set up a bot to do that forever, you will get, you know, millions of experience points. But the idea is for this single increment of your time, you are guaranteed to get something, like some amount of progression, which is fundamentally different from playing like Tetris, where in Tetris, if you are not constantly making correct choices, you will eventually be forced to lose and so, you'll have nothing to show for Okay, you. I think I'm following. So you're saying that experience is experience in like the ones where it goes toward a level where it's like, oh, you need 3,000 experience to level up. Exactly. And so by doing that, you are guaranteed to eventually make progress. Exactly. Whereas, still, whereas like in yes. Dark Souls or Tetris, Dark Souls, you... 
you're not guaranteed any experience until you cash it in. Right. There is some guaranteed return on your investment of time. I think you have to choose to set it up in a way that's strategic at the very beginning Mm -hmm. to not just die forever to the level one and never get past that. But like it's. it's I think that's an important distinction between this and a cookie clicker game, though. In the cookie clicker, you still have to make choices. Like you still have to click to upgrade your stuff and say like, I want a five times multiplier on my cookie clicking, but it's not really, is that a choice? Yeah, it is. Turns out you have like five choices and you pick, okay. You pick the upgrade. Now all of them will get you there eventually. Right. The question is how long will it take? Right. So I guess what I'm saying is the appeal here is that in our life, when you go out and go to your job or whatever, you're not guaranteed to be coming home an incrementally better person. In fact, you're getting, <laughs> you're getting older. Take. But in a video game with progression elements, there's usually something where it says, you know, you know what, because you engaged with this game, you get something back. You get some amount of reward for your time. You and know what I think? We should subtitle this episode Cookie Clicker. No, I think that listening to player versus plot is just like that because every... You always get something. Because <laughs> every episode you get incrementally better. But so like, you're welcome yeah. for the long episodes. I don't think that's a bad thing, though. Like, I, I think it's good that, like, a game can say, if you bear with me, you'll you'll come out a little happier. I mean, I, I'm going to, Cookie Clicker does not sound fun to me, but also I already admitted I played Fallout Shelter. And for like a week, <laughs> I was really into Fallout Shelter. It's true. Except except the thing, the trouble I run into in those games is I'm really impatient. So mm-hmm. I'm just constantly checking my phone. I'm like, are they back? Are they back? Are they back? I'm going to make the next decision. Mm-hmm. So that drives me insane. But I was really good at it that first week. I will, you give me those kinds of games and I just fall into a hole. I do. I be, I just master them. And I'm like, well, I did it. And when I reach the point where I'm like, I figured it out. And I, I don't, I don't like the part where you just go on default and let the game. Keep so going. You, you like solving puzzles. And once you figured out the best way to do it, you're like, I'm done. Yes. Exactly. Well you, well, you kind of see the Which path is, ahead of you and what it'll look like. Yes. And yeah. Which is what, you know, that's where most video games should draw their end point then. <laughs> Which is like, oh, you figured it out. Well, then story wise, it ends here. Here's yes. some more fun but, stuff. But that's the thing that like, that's kind of what Cookie Clicker gets to the bottom of is it says, hey, there's a lot of players who they get to this end, like this point where they they have attained mastery and they say, but don't you want a victory lap? Don't you want That's a, a forever point. victory lap? I, I, again, not to relate all things to Final Fantasy VII, but I had just hit the point in the game at the end of the remake where I was like, oh, I've got this figured out. Like, I know how... I, I want my builds. I know what role everyone plays. I know the timing. I I mean, I don't want to brag, but I dominated that game. It feels good to like flex the muscles that you. So have, when you know. I, I thought about going back and replaying, I'm not, I don't replay video games a lot because mm-hmm. again, it's like a puzzle. I figure it out. I like seeing the plot and then I'm kind of done. Mm-hmm. But with this one, I'm like, Ooh, I was real close. Like if I could start from zero, I could really min max everything. Mm-hmm. So I might be doing that. And that's, different but similar where it's that idea of this progress you want to feel like you can get a little bit more return on this time that you invest yes and on the knowledge you've gained about the system right yeah i mean i have definitely played there was a time in my life where i played link to the past once a year not trying to speed run it just want to go through the motions and doing all the things that i have already done a (laughs) hundred times 
because it felt good to like exercise this proficiency I already knew that I had. Yeah, I feel about Dark Souls. I'll just pop it back in the the, the system and just mm-hmm. play. It saddens me that we'll never just do a full episode on Dark Souls, and yet every lightning so I've, I've already cast about Dark Souls. <laughs> I've already decided. <laughs> I've, I've already decided. That we're never going to do an episode on Dark Souls or Final Fantasy X. It will just be sprinkled across every episode. I think Sterling's trying to avoid a scathing criticism of Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy X. Do you not like it either? Uh, I love it. I think it's okay. I, was, I know how you feel. I'm, about I'm it, being so. a little glib. I think there's a lot of interesting things to talk about in Final I, Fantasy X. Dude, I've been just sitting in the lightning fields with no motivation. Dude, yeah. I dodged 100 lightning bolts. You do- I have the right to say <laughs> you dodged. You dodged 500. Was it 500? 500 to get Lulu's. For Lulu's? Yeah. I thought it was 100. No, you, I, I, what the fuck you is there, wrong with you me? You were there for like. Why would hours. I do that? I will say, there was a time where you were living with Sterling where I watched you play through Final Fantasy X trying to master what a gotcha ball or whatever the hell it's called. Blitzball. Oh, Blitzball. 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 Which is amazing. That's one of those examples of mastering a thing really early and then you're just doing the same thing. Yeah. Again and again. Just gotta get Waka's ultimate. I was like, what's Chris doing? And Sterling was like, don't even <laughs> worry about it. I, I went through all the stages that where I'm like, this is a great idea. I love Blitzball. <laughs> which I stand behind the idea part. And like the first two hours, I'm like, whoa, it's a sports RPG. And then... No. By the 10th hour, I and then I re, I read a guide. And it's like, you shouldn't start playing Blitzball for like 20 to 30 hours into the game. And now you're going to have to reset your progress. <gasps> and I was like, no. Well, oh, I man. have to say the moment they were like, it's a sport in your video game. I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, and it's underwater. I was man, like, no. In 2001. No, do not put me underwater. <laughs> I, I just like took, uh, I, I popped holes in like soccer balls and put hula hoops in the pools. And then I try and play Blitzball myself. Wait, you popped holes in, poked holes in. So it filled with water so I could play Blitzball in real life. Is the, Wait. Are they you, heavier that wait, way? Did you interpret so the balls in Blitzball as being filled with water? No, but like I it's not about interpreting the balls and blitzball filled with anything. It's about getting a ball to stay underwater. Oh, wait, you actually went underwater to play it? Yeah, I, I made my own blitzball court. Don't they, do they not make balls to go underwater? Like, maybe I'm just imagining sticks. Sterling throwing the ball underwater and it just <laughs> it goes, goes real, real <laughs> close and falls down. You're trying yeah. to throw a ball underwater, it goes like, five inches and then stop. <laughs> I was going to say, how well did that go for you? It was terrible. How it rewarding fun. is blitzball when you're the only player? I had friends that tried to yeah, play with Yeah, I like how it. Lindsay oh, okay. just assumed this was a solo <laughs> project. Well, he, in fairness, to recap how Sterling told the story, he said, I remember when I put a hula hoop underwater and I filled a soccer ball with water and I tried to play blitz ball. Look. There was no we in there. Well, I was making the blitz ball court. I see. And the thing. I can tell you what we're officially doing at our annual pool party. We just talked about how you and I both want to exercise our goodness at things after we've already finished the game. I guess. Sterling wanted to show his blitz ball skills in a different part of his life. I guess. He just wants to be Titus. Titus is super cool. Titus is the worst. He's like LeBron James. Oh my God. His shorts are the coolest things. No, I hate... I hate everything about it. I like his suspense. No, I can't lie about that. <laughs> he also has some uh, hard to explain suspenders. <laughs> what? Uh, I like them on Tifa. I stand by them. On Tifa? Yeah. Aesthetically. The three belts and the suspenders. They're very, what do you call it? What's the whatever punk? The Diesel punk? Diesel punk. Are they diesel punk? Yeah, I guess suspenders are kind of diesel. Is. They're very working, like working men. It is. Question, question. Very blue collar. Uh, diesel punk starts at what era? Like. 
like steampunk, I imagine like steamboats and things like that. But diesel, like what, what year would we say? Maybe the 50s? Maybe the 50s. we'll save this for a Final Fantasy VII episode. Yeah. We've gone way, way off. I topic. know. I know. But anyways, power progression, as I was just saying, is... The ultimate form of power progression is numbers is in going up. up your Blitzball team. So we've started off with power progression being some kind of way for a story to express something to you or a way to um, challenge you mechanically. And then we've gone all the way to the other extreme of power progression basically being essentially progressed for the sake of progress. Yeah. I mean, we started by saying there's a spectrum. That's true. And I think we found that spectrum. We got both ends of it and then everything else falls somewhere in between. I'm glad you guys found it. (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm still a little bit lost. I'm as lost (laughs) as the audience at this point. (laughs) No, I feel like the the takeaway is that power progression has definitely become a big part of video games, almost regardless of genre these days. I think it's become part of the form. And I think that understanding the different ways you can integrate it narratively is important because it can work whether you're like, fuck it. I'm the narrator and Spider-Man's going to learn this move in a virtual reality space. Yeah. Or whether you say, okay, well, you are farming these souls and you are trading them into this character in the game and then you are building your skills or you're having a gift bestowed upon you by a goddess. Mm -hmm. I think that they all work. I think the ones that tripped us up the most and the ones that I've heard people talk about the most are things like Batman or God of War. There's games that, yeah. the same character and it's like, the the, the level up making you lose your powers. It's almost like there is a part where it's like the whole game is about this, like Mega Man X. And then you have something like The Last of Us where it's like, you know, the game isn't not about it, but it's, it's kind of tangential. Background. And then you have games where there is some kind of inherent tension by including this mechanic. Yes. I think I think that's where we hit like the ludo narrative dissonance, right? Where you're like, oh shit, I'm playing a game. But like the, I think like this the, only happened because I'm playing a game. But one thing that I think we didn't really touch upon that much is in power progression are instances, for example, in Final Fantasy VII, where they pair you up with a character way over level yeah. than you. Oh man, you I'm so glad like, you brought that. Know, is so this you, power progression? It is. Yes. Because you have level one character with that you're a level one character, and then a character that's in your party is level fifty. And yeah. you get to you, an you, you feel how yeah. drastically weaker you are, the, the, or, yeah. or in other points, in like in, in some tales games, you have to fight some people and you're supposed to lose. Yeah. And you're supposed just statistically to feel, they're too strong. You're supposed to feel weak, though. Cro- you, yeah, you Chrono can, Trigger has that where you can technically win a battle, but you're not supposed to. Right, and tales does the same thing where if you actually win, oops, you uh, you uh, get like a secret character later in the game. Um, and I, I feel like another way you can put that is that, for example, Final Fantasy VII, not much of a spoiler Spoiler to say that there are characters named Cloud and Sephiroth. <laughs> the biggest spoiler. And there is a part in a flashback that shows you Cloud being at level one and Sephiroth being at level 50 to show you the enormous gap between them in experience. Yeah. Like literally and in the fiction. And I think what's happening there is the game has created some kind of system by which it delivers narrative meaning to you, right? Mm -hmm. That system is levels and the narrative meaning is cloud is getting stronger as you go on. So sometimes games leverage those existing systems to make new statements to you. And this reminded me of one of the most amazing examples of that, which is a game that I'm not even really a huge fan of, but it does such a good job of this is Final Fantasy IV. 
Okay. One of the first Final Fantasies to be like, your main character is not level one because they have a backstory, um, which you also saw in Final Fantasy VII. But they have a character named Tella. We've talked about this Probably in the podcast before, too. I don't think we talked about it in the podcast. Okay, even if we have, it's a new episode and (laughs) everyone needs a reminder. Well, there's a character who is an an amnesiac and his name is Tella. He's a wizard. And there's a part in the game where he suddenly regains his memories. And the game expresses that to you by showing his spell list fill up with every single spell in the entire game. Which is so cool. And won't tell you what happens after that, but long story short... The game is trying to surprise you by showing you that everything that you're seeing on the screen is actually playing a part in the fiction that you're kind of submersed in. Yeah. So I I think that was just something that was really cool. I didn't want to forget about before we uh, start wrapping up this episode. You know what the real progression is? It's that when we started this podcast, the only Final Fantasy game I had played was Crystal Chronicles. And played is a loose term for that. Now you've played two of them. Now I've played the remake and half of 10. And I don't know what percentage of the original a seven, a fifth, maybe a fourth. Love it. Ooh, look at that. Pro- I had maybe. progress right there from a fifth to a <laughs> hey, fourth. Hey, we progress in this podcast because uh, we don't sound like absolute garbage. <laughs> oh, with power progression, it's everywhere. And you know what? We decided to skip the thing in our notes where we kicked Chris out of the podcast. So Whoa, really? You made it. You did it. Yes. Oh, I think it's we skimmed over that part. We can still do it. No, we're out of time. <laughs> oh, I guess so. Well, this episode was brought to you by us. The sponsors. <laughs> Lindsay, Sterling, and Chris. So as always, you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at player versus plot. That's player vs plot. And Send any thoughts, suggestions, comments, compliments you have to playerversusplot at gmail.com. Still that player vs plot. You can also tweet at us too if you want to or talk to us on Instagram. You don't have to just send it to our Gmail. It's the most professional if you email us. So if you really want to be impressive, yeah. do all three. Tell us your favorite weird manner of power progression. I'm sure someone out there is like, oh, I can't believe they didn't think of this game. And trust me, we feel the same way. We can't believe we didn't think of that game either. So thanks for joining us. And as always, we will catch you next time on Player vs. Plot.